Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. this theme song comes on. I mean, what a job by uh, Brad Sona, point blank. Thanks again for the great song that you developed. This is Ryan Berger, so episode number 32, the Magic Johnson of episodes inside the Burger Shop podcast. The grill is always hot. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes at Inside the Burger Shop. It is a Pleasantly sunny, warm day here in New York today, uh, April 12th, uh, just going through the month after month incredibly quick, uh, almost in the middle of April, uh, which is really, really, really amazing, and uh, um, get a little bit of warmth here in New York, and uh, I'm actually heading down south tomorrow for a couple of days to get away down to Georgia, where the weather report is nothing but rain and a little cloud, so hopefully uh, we'll be able to turn that around a little bit. So thanks, everybody, for uh, listening and spending some time with me over the next hour. Uh, we try to bring on some really fun guests, and uh, today we have a guest who's someone I've looked up to my, my whole life and uh, someone who has really changed or created the uh, the NBA pregame show and certainly the language around how people talk about the players, uh, certainly credited with some of the great nicknames of all time. Joe Barely Cares for, for Joe Barry Carroll and 
Um, some really fun stuff. Uh, Hubie Brown, longtime partner, of course, medical bill around Bill Carwright, the great Peter Vesey, and Peter will join us at at five ten in about seven minutes, and we'll talk to him about a number of things from the changing landscape and how the, sort of the NBA is covered from when he started in 1976, which is actually the year I was born. So it's amazing that he's still sort of so connected to the game and to the sport and to everyone involved. In it, so we'll talk to him about a number of things re- regarding what's going on in the league. Of course, uh, if you follow me on Twitter at the Burger Shop, you've seen I've thrown out the question: which is a better ticket tomorrow night to see history, uh, the chance to see Golden State break uh, the '96 Bulls record of 73 wins, um, and that'll be 10:30 uh, tomorrow night uh, up in uh, Oracle. Uh, against the Grizz, and uh, and of course at the same time you have uh, just an unbelievable end of an era, um, Kobe Bean, uh, who is probably the second greatest uh, two guard I've ever seen behind uh, Michael Jordan, which interestingly Peter Vesey is credited with calling him Air Jordan, and um, you know which is a better ticket, and we'll talk to Peter about that, and we'll talk to him about uh, Kobe and sort of what the historical uh, angle is with him. Of course, we'll talk about the historical angle on this Golden State team um, and how good really are they. There's been a lot of conversation over the past couple weeks. Um, They're not that good. The older teams would bury them. So it'll be good to hear from someone like Pete, who's obviously covered the game for 50, 55 years, what his thoughts are on that. Um, So it's good to sort of – hear a little bit about that and you know, we're coming off of two incredible sports weekends two weekends ago with the uh with the villanova game winner uh shout out to my wife for winning my pool 112 people in the 14th uh, annual brian and brad big pool just an amazing accomplishment and an amazing accomplishment by jay wright and then uh, uh, just an unbelievable masters weekend which was sort of dull the first three days. Not a lot of action going on. Uh, the big names kind of, you know, at the top, Phil missing the cut. Uh, not, none of the really happening stuff, none of the stuff going on that you would look at and say, wow, this is an incredible tournament that I'm glued to. Of course, you know, no Tiger. And then, of course, you run into the just unbelievable, epic, historical collapse of Jordan Spieth, which nobody, nobody in a million years would ever, ever had expected. Um, but what he did on 12 with the quadruple bogey, letting the young British uh, Danny Willett into the lead and eventually uh, losing the tournament was just epic. And uh, some were calling it the biggest collapse in the history of golf. Uh, Spieth on his way to becoming one of the, really one of the greats in the sport, um, and the conversation being around how great can he be? Is he the next Tiger and winning multiple green jackets? Uh, 20, 22 years old, incredibly young and gifted, um, and really just did something on Sunday that will will be with him for a very long time. There's just no other way to put it. This is a, a guy who has never really, uh, you could use the word, choked on this sort of stage. And when it happens to a guy who's sort of at that great level and has a chance to be an all-time great, that's a blemish that stays on your career forever. And, uh, you know, we know the Norman stories of the Masters, but this was, you know, a, a hole in which, especially the second shot, the, the first shot, look, he's got a five-shot lead. You hit a ball in the water, it happens. 
but to hit two balls in the water was absolutely stunning and shocking and, of course, took the tournament from a tournament that wasn't something that you had to see to something that became, you know, must-see television. So some really interesting stuff around around the Masters and golf. And, of course, the next major up uh, will be, you know, a lot of fun, and I'm sure – this will not go away for Jordan. It will happen at the next majors, the U.S. Open and the British and PGA, and it will be discussed at Augusta year in and year out until he gets over this and gets uh, another green jacket. So uh, some really sort of breathtaking stuff coming out of the Masters. As always, we want to thank Hyper, our sponsor for today's show uh, and all of our shows. You can follow uh, Hyper on Twitter at Hyperbrands, H-Y-P-R Brands. You could also find uh, Hyper on the web at uh, hyperbrands.com, H-Y-P-R Brands.com. And Hyper is the leader in influencer and celebrity marketing. We are... Uh, the only company in the world to have deep audience analytics across every social profile. What that means is we're able to um, tell you who's following you, how many men and how many women and where the followers live. And uh, that stuff is unbelievably important for marketers. And as you know, if you listen to the show, we end the show with the hyperheat index, looking at three uh, celebrities and influencers who are in the conversation and today we'll take a look at as i mentioned the big historical night tomorrow night we'll look at draymond green clay thompson and and kobe and look at a little bit of their social data and how big are they and where are their followers from um you know and 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 how old their followers are so it'll be interesting to see but again thanks so much to hyper for everything they do for the show and and uh you know looking forward to Breaking down, you know, some of that today, and as we wait for, you know, Mr. Vesey to get on and, and, and come on, I think the other thing we'll talk to Pete about is is, is, is the Knicks. And, you know, with obviously such a big uh, New York audience that we have on this show, it's, it's, it would be a mistake of me to not touch on uh, what is going on with uh, the team who plays in the Garden. Um, and with uh, sort of rumors being leaked around Kurt Rambis uh, being retained by uh, Phil, some rumors being leaked that they will look at players who fit into the triangle. You know, it's, it's, it really starts to make you question um, how connected Phil is to the basketball world today. And uh, while I understand teams run principles of the triangle to sort of run such a, a, an offense that is so different than everyone else is running and to evaluate players, draft players, and sign players based on that system just seems – frankly outdated and i wish i felt differently i was you know so happy when phil came uh understanding that it's a big challenge and a big job um but i just hope that the direction is the right direction obviously the porzingis pick was was sensational uh the robin lopez signing was was a solid signing especially when you think about all the other guys that said no to new york and and lopez who said yes but you know i i think it's important to really get an understanding that they're on the right track and the, and the right direction. And we'll be able to talk to Peter about his thoughts on that and if that is uh, actually true or not. Um, and, 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 you know, and it's frustrating. Uh, as a Knicks fan, it is a frustrating time. This team has lost you know, year in and year out with the playoffs uh, coming up basically in the next week or so, another season where the Knicks aren't filling up the garden, and that's a disappointment. 
That's really a disappointment when you bring in a guy like Phil and pay him the kind of money. It's it's disappointing to have the garden empty. And, of course, the Rangers will uh, fill that garden uh, next week, Tuesday and Thursday night, uh, and sort of ended the season in a little bit of a strange way in which they end up playing uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the hottest team in the league, winning 14 of the last 16 games. We all know about the big rivalry between uh, Sid the Kid Crosby and Hank Lundquist. Um, looking forward to a, what I hope is going to be a really, really good series. I hope the Rangers don't get buried and, and, and get sort of skated out of the, out of the out of the arena. But it'll be interesting to see um, you know what the Rangers do. And obviously, without having the Knicks in the Garden, it's a big. Uh, spring year for for the Rangers and for Mr. Dolan and um you know and I, as you know I've been sort of running this show for the past four and a half months and it's amazing to be able to speak to people who you look up to and have learned a lot from and we're blessed today to be uh, joined by the great uh, Pete Vesey uh Pete thanks for jumping on inside the burger shop how's everything with you everything everything's good everything's good can you hear me okay we can, we can hear you. Okay, we absolutely well. All right. Uh, okay. You doing good. All right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm just, uh, I'm just stopping. I'm driving and uh, just stopping to do this the show. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you spending a couple of minutes with us. And you know, I was talking a little bit before you came on uh, about you know obviously your background and the sport of the NBA. You know. Uh, and all the sort of amazing opportunities that you've been able to work on and, and sort of create the originator of the NBA pregame. I mean, some of the stories you've broke have been absolutely incredible, whether it's the Spreewell story, the, you know, the next town, Larry Brown, Isaiah Fiasco. Uh, the league has changed dramatically since you have been, certainly since you started uh, sort of the original, you know, guys from ESPN. None of these guys would really be around doing what they're doing if you weren't there and sort of blazing the, the trail. You know, what are your thoughts on how the game has changed from a media standpoint? Obviously, the addition of so many channels, but you know, you've been doing this for such a long time and have seen so many come and go. Give us sort of your thoughts on where things are from a media perspective with the league before we talk about the league itself. You know, Ryan. One thing, I'm I'm not writing anymore. So it's been four years. Four years I've been retired. So uh, you know, hard for me to uh, to discuss what's going on exactly today. Um, but you know, over the years, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's changed. You know, radically. You know, when I when I first started, again, I was the First columnist in that specialization sport, you know, nationally, and I'm talking about in any sport. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's crazy how it's changed. You know, you say ESPN wouldn't be around. I'm sure ESPN would be around, um, but you know to go through to go through those years as uh as 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 the only guy in many many situations from out of town who'd be um you know following following say the sonics you know in nineteen seventy eight when they uh when they were in the playoffs throughout follow them throughout the playoffs travel with them um this wasn't happening. Nobody, I mean, even the local writers weren't traveling with them as much as I was. Um, so 
so, you know, in those days, I, I, I kind of laugh when I read about, uh, you know, one organization or another um, saying that, yeah, you know, we, uh, we had our guy, we had our guy travel with the team for, uh, you know, a week or four days or something. He traveled with the team and, you know, this is like uh, unheard of. I, I did that all the time back in the day, all the time. You know, pick a team, pick a, pick a year, um, you know, I, I'd be traveling with them. And so, yeah, you know, tremendous, tremendous change. But then again, um, they're not really doing what I did back in the day because they don't have the flexibility. They don't have a sports editor who who is willing to take a chance and send a guy on the road with a team not knowing exactly what you're going to get. You know, at the end of my career at the Post, um, I, and this basically hastened my career at the Post to end, uh, I asked my new sports editor if I could go to uh, Oklahoma City and um, and hang out with them for a week, hang out with uh, with their three stars. You know, I didn't I didn't know Durant, I didn't know Westbrook, and I didn't didn't know Harden, but I did know Scott Brooks. And I knew Kevin Ollie. And, uh, you know, so I knew components of that team who were going to help me learn to learn, you know, learn about those guys and give, give, you know, say, hey, he's okay, talk to him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my sports editor said, nah, I don't think so. You don't know. <laughs> and I knew, I knew right then and there it was over. It was over. Because Amazing. if you're not going to invest the time – and the money to send me to do a week with the with the Oklahoma City team, um, what you know? What am I doing? I'm going to become like everybody else, and uh, right. so that was one of the main reasons I decided to retire. Interesting. We're talking to the great Pete Vesey, an NBA columnist since 1976, which, interestingly enough, was the year I was born, 39 uh, <laughs> years old. And you know, you you, you mentioned ESPN being oh around. Of course, they. They, of course, ESPN would be around, but what is so interesting to me is the sort of angle and language that they sort of individuals use. And you could put anybody from you know, Simmons to Jalen Rose to all of these guys who have taken on sort of a sarcastic, no-holds-barred language, a language that almost was sacred around athletes and, 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 and leagues. And, you know, we had my really good friend Mark Kriegel on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was similar in the sense where there was no sensitivities. You guys wrote what you felt. You say what you felt. And that, you know, that you were sort of the trailblazer. You were the start of that. And that's what I mean by these guys at ESPN today was, you know, everything used to be I can't say this, I can't say that, scared that they're going to get up, uh, into an argument or uh, upset somebody, but you know, you you always had you know the 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 onions to say what you felt and what you thought, and that to me was a very big game changer in how people uh, cover NBA and NBA media, and that's what I mean by these sort of new individuals. Yeah. Obviously, you have these new sites like the Vertical and the Ringer and this and that, where if you have extra time, <laughs> you're gonna I guess go to you're gonna go to all these places, but. Um, it is just so unbelievable how you were able to start that trend, and as I said, you know, uh, 39 years later, it's, not sure. it's really become into its own. You know, Ryan, I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, again, I'm not watching as much as I used to. Uh, I'm not reading as much. A lot of my friends will send me stuff they think I like, and uh, and I'm glad they do because I would never find them. 
like you said, where, you know, you go to sites and, you know, where are you going to go? You could go anywhere, a million sites. So so they send me stuff that they think I'd like. But my point is that um, a, lot of what, a lot of what I did in my interviews for NBC for uh, 12 years, I worked for NBC every year that they had the NBA, and, uh, and a lot of stuff that I did for the New York Post and, and USA Today, um, I don't see that being done today. You know, Wojo, Wojo will take on people, you know, the vertical, you know, Yahoo. He'll take on people, but he won't take on, he will not take on his sources. And it's so mm-hmm. obvious, you know, who his sources are because, because they can get away with anything. And he will go after big-time guys that aren't his sources. So, you know, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy Wojo's stuff and the fact that he's able to break stories. But, you know, other than, other than him, you know, uh, I don't see, I don't, you know, you talk about Simmons. Simmons, you know, was a wise guy, you know, on his column and stuff, and he's a you know wise guy on television. And uh, but will he really, you know, will he really, you know, hit the, if he was in an interview with uh, Bill Russell, you know, any Celtic actually, would he actually <laughs> ask him a tough question? Would he ask yep. him a tough question? I don't. I not in a million years. So you know, it's like yeah, they've got they they, they do their things and. Uh, but I don't, I don't believe anybody did did what I did for so long, and uh, or, or, or is doing it, you know, even even remotely like it. Um, I love Jalen, you know. I think Jalen Jalen Rose is, you know, very sharp. I covered him, was pretty tight with him actually for for a while. You know, killed him one day, tight with him the next, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, but I I enjoy I enjoy him when I watch him because uh, he's very glib and he's very prepared. And um, so I think he's really good. Unfortunately, you know, he's in a in a uh, situation where you know he's got he's got to work with Doug Collins, who you know I I really uh, believe very little. You know, or yeah, I mean he knows the game for sure, but um, not a believable person at all. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about asking Doug if he wants to pay me not to write a chapter on him in my book. Um, in fact, I'm thinking about doing that with a lot of people. You know, I think I can make some real extra money by offering not to not to mention you in my book, and you could pay me X amount of money. I wonder if that would work. Yeah, I'm sure it will, Pete. I'm sure it will, and it's uh, it should be you'll be writing that book out in Shelter Island or Sag Harbor, and uh, you'll be getting checks that come you know from everybody to try and <laughs> keep themselves right. out of such a uh, such a thing. I'll be getting. Non residual. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> non residual directly through the golden pair to Mr. Vessi's uh right. to Mr. Vessi's home. Um you know, I, I sent out a tweet and you know, I, I talked a little bit about it and, and, and it's about sort of such a big night tomorrow night in the in the league. Before I talk to you about it, I just wanted to, you know, you mentioned Woj and I just want to talk a minute on on him, and you know, it, it's almost strange how connected he is with the stories he's breaking individually. It's almost like he's connected to every team's you know locker room or general manager from breaking yeah. Uh, yeah. picks to uh, trades yeah. to any story he's got before anybody else. You know, 
is that healthy? Is that healthy for the landscape of the league that everything is so relying on one individual? Or do you believe that that's sort of been orchestrated to get him to where he is to help the league leak things and oh, create all this sort no. of buzz? No, no, no. He's doing this on his own. Look, he's not, he's not the only one. I mean, Mark Stein breaks an awful lot of stories. I'm not, I'm not impressed. You know, I tell you, I am a fan of Wojo's because he worked his ass off. Uh, but, um, but I, you know, go back to what I said about it before in that stance. You know, I, I, I know, I know when he's not going after stories, you know, uh, and he knows, and he knows the story. And the reason is, is that the guy's a source of his, but, um, I could be specific, but, uh, but I might save that for the book, but, but, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't think it's unhealthy or anything like that. You know, God bless him that he's able to break all these stories. Um, I'd be more impressed, you know, if, you know, the stories, the stories that he breaks or anybody, anybody breaks that are 10 minutes ahead of the story being announced are worthless to me. They, they don't mean anything to me. That's just for your ego, put it on Twitter, I had it first type of thing. I'd be, I'd be impressed to read, and, and I don't know, I don't know, I can't name, I don't, you know, I don't know his exact history, but I'd be impressed to learn that he broke stories that uh, were huge stories that uh, weren't going to break, you know, until the next day. Or, you know, if he had right. them in his column, you know, if he did a whole column on it, you know, for instance, you know, my point is that I know it's different with Twitter. So, it's, you know, you want your editor wants you to put stuff out immediately. But if I were writing for the Post, to this day, I, I wouldn't want my stuff to be, you know, if I had a big story, so like, like Spreewell choking Carlos Moe. I mean, we broke that story. So nobody, nobody on the West Coast, nobody in this country had it until we broke it. They read it in the post. You know, and it, they didn't read it until it was online, you know, like at midnight or something, you know, in the West Coast or whatever. And so I, I, um, I, I I think I, I would want to break stories to this day the same way. I don't want to put my stuff out online and then have everybody being able to, to go and, and, and write about it, you know, and, and follow up. Let them work the next day. You know, let, the, let us have our day and then let, you know. So I think I still could do that. But I don't, I don't know if Wojo's ever broken a story like that. And uh, maybe, it's, it's in case, maybe it's impossible in today's age for him to do that with his editor telling him he's got to do it. Get it out as soon as possible. But what is right. the big story? You know, a draft pick or, a, you know, a guy being dropped or signed or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's been traded. You know, God, I mean, we had hundreds of those things back in the day. I was just I was just watching. I just I had breakfast with my son this morning, and uh, I tell him I didn't realize. I, I mean, I just remembered the other, the other day when, you know, about the Kobe stuff, is that when Kobe – was was drafted. I was working for TNT that night, and uh, I broke the story that he was going to be traded. That he was traded to the South to the uh, Lakers. Now I did not have who it was for. I I I guessed that it was for Sabalas. Uh, I didn't know it was for Divas. My point is, is that that was a trade that wasn't announced until July 10th, and this was June whatever. And I broke it during the draft and said he'd been traded, to, you know, from Charlotte to uh, – and, 
so until July 10th, there were many, many people, writers included, that were still saying, that's, that's not true. It's not going to happen. He's got it wrong. And the reason it waited until July 10th is because that's the way the salary cap was done. You couldn't make a trade until the salary cap numbers changed and all that stuff. You know, and, and so even even that day, and I remember Kobe, um, I was begging on the air, begging the Nets to take Kobe. You know, they worked him out twice, maybe three times. They loved him. John Nash, the general manager, wanted to take him. And, uh, and Calipari had all the power and as the coach, and he was also, you know, the decision maker. He, he got bluffed off by on telling the agent, saying that, you know, Kobe will never resign with the Nets and blah, 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 you know. And, and so they, they got, they got uh, punked, and they took Kerry Kittle. But I'm on the air begging them. You know, if you got any, got any onions, use your word, draft Kobe. You know, draft him. And uh, so here we are. You know, all these years later, he's going to play his last game. And so I, I was telling my son that whole story today. He had never heard that story. But it's, it's interesting. It is. It's so it's incredibly interesting, and it's such a it's such a great point. And we're talking to the great Pete Vesey. You could uh, unfortunately not follow Pete writing and posting. Great, we can drop that great stuff. <laughs> uh, we're talking to the, the, the to the wonderful Pete Vesey. Uh, uh, follow Pete uh, on Twitter at Peter Vesey One, uh, where you can find his insights these days. Since of course he's uh, retired from writing, he's also a National Basketball Hall of Fame member, a Rucker Hall of Fame which is really interesting and it's something I didn't know and learned recently you're also not only in the Malloy Hall of Fame but you played for Coach Carnesecca at Malloy which is unbelievably interesting to me because uh, well, when let's I was stop you. let's stop you well, let's stop you right there I did not play for Carnesecca um, oh. oh is that right you know, I, don't know how that, I don't know how it ever started that uh, I played for him I, I was a freshman when Lou Carnesecca was, was, was the varsity coach so I, I did not play on the varsity as a freshman. I was basically learning the game, and um, I was a baseball Pete, player more than that, basketball. I've seen that jump shot, Pete. You got game. You no know varsity as a freshman? Yeah. I do have game. I do have game, but <laughs> not anymore. But I stopped at 60. I stopped. I uh, wish, I, wish I hadn't, but I did. So, so anyway, Connor Secker was the varsity coach. They went 33-0 and that year. They, they beat Archbishop Carroll in a tournament in Washington that had John Thompson on the team. You know, so so to think, for people to say that, you know, a lot of people said, you know, the reason you were angry at Conor many times in your column was that he cut you. And that's, that's, another, that's, that's utter nonsense because I was a freshman for crying out loud. You know, the guys who were playing on varsity, like I, I would watch their practice, which I can vividly remember to this day, and there were some guys on that team. They had a guy named Willie Hall who was like 6'4", and I think he was 28. And uh, he was an animal, man. He was like crazy. I said, oh, I'm going to play, you know, in a game that has a guy like this playing. It's like, and he just went into our New York City Hall of Fame this past year. And uh, I was so happy for him. I was still in touch with him. So, anyway, he wasn't my coach. Jack Curran became the coach after – uh, yep. Connor Secker left, left after my freshman year and went to St. John's as an assistant. Jack Curran became the head coach and was the coach until he died. 
And so I, I actually didn't play for him either. I practiced for him, but I didn't play that much uh, in at Malloy for Jack Curran. We, we, and we he were not boys. Coach Kenny Anderson, correct? Yeah, he did coach Kenny Anderson. He coached a lot of pros. He coached Kenny Smith. He coached uh, Kevin Joyce, Brian Winters. Um, he coached probably about seven seven NBA pro, pros, six or seven. Oh, seven. Interesting, seven, you know. Seven, it's interesting growing up in sort of the basketball world and the AAU world and hearing stories from guys like my dad and Clories and you about the you know the days at Lincoln and and Cuda and how how all the sort of the you know all the great players in the in the 60s and 50s and in the 70s coming out of you know New York. I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago. I just moved uh, to Jersey a couple of weeks ago, back after 20 years downtown, and and I know it's fascinating how the game has changed so much that the high school kid from New York isn't the best anymore. They used to be, you know, the New York City point guard. I used to go to Florida for Christmas every year when I was. Yeah. 10, 11, 12, and watched that tournament in Fort Myers with Lincoln and Oak Hill. And I remember like it was yesterday watching Norman Marbury against Randolph Childress and just unbelievable right. stuff. I look around New York now and all the kids are gone. I mean, they're gone, whether it's to the schools in New Jersey or prep schools. It's, it's, you know, it's tough to swallow, you know. Hey, look, it, it, it's an international game now. You know, you can't you can't be upset about it. You got to rejoice in the fact that it it expanded to such a degree that you know New York still has still has great players coming out of it. They still have a, you know numerous players, not 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 that many NBA players right now, but there'll, there'll be more. But the whole the whole country you know exploded. Again, you know, I I was in uh, in Seattle big time seventy seventy seven seventy eight seventy nine a lot. And I would go, and I would go to the University of Washington, or I'd go to a club and play basketball with with guys that I had met there, or just go to play pickup ball. And uh, I remember being able to, you know, hold hold the floor for you know three, four, five games at the University of Washington, and uh, you know, feel like I hold my own against most people. Now, years later, because of the Sonic success and what they did for basketball in the Northwest. Do you know? Do you have any idea? We looked it up. We looked it up a couple of years ago with a friend of mine from Seattle. How many? How many players from the universe from, from the state of Washington made the pros? I'm only talking like forty. It's like so. So you know, they went from me being able to hold hold the floor, and then going back. You know, in the in the eighties, um, I was I was back in. Um, God, when the Sonics were in the oh, even in the nineties, ninety six, when they went to the finals, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm there trying to, you know, trying to get a game. I can't even yeah, get the, the game. Gar- the you know, like you're watching Sean Kemp team, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm just, you know, but just the, the caliber of players that that uh, that, came, that have come out of there, you know, you just you can't even you can't name them all. There's so many still in the pros and and continuing. So anyway, yeah. that's. So no, we don't feel bad that you know, you know, one year, one year, you know, we had we had Mark Jackson, Kenny Smith, uh, and um, Pearl Washington the same year coming out as, as the point guards, you know, in New York top point guards, Kenny Hutchinson, you know, so what? So now they, so now they're somewhere else, and you know, they're down south or they're out in the west or they're or they're coming from overseas to play college ball here. And then going into the pros, it's like, yeah, it's great. That's why the game's gotten better. 
I was in uh, Barcelona in 92 for the Olympics, was lucky enough to watch every one of those Dream Team games live. And you look back about 24 Wait, years you went, ago. You went as a fan? You just, you just went as a fan? You, your, father, your father paid your way there? Was my that? dad was in the advertising in the media world. And, you know, one of the things yeah. when you're in advertising running an agency is you get access to some tickets. And uh, we went over. Right. I was, a, right. I was uh, let's see, eight, 15, 23. I was 15 in the middle of a, of a real good high school career. And uh, hoop, hoops-wise and Went over there and it just blew my mind how uh, how big they were, you know, 23 years ago in the spanners of Jordan and two years later going to the World Games in Toronto. I'll never forget and go up to watch the World Games. I check into my hotel. I go to grab a slice of pizza and I'm next to Dominique and, and Alonzo Mourning. And it turns out I'm in their hotel for a week and a half hanging with Mark Price and his family and getting to know the right. families and the league and, and right. just seeing how people from all over the world were fascinated with this sport. And I was just having a conversation this morning about this. I have an eight-year-old who I talk about on this show all the time and he loves hoops but you know he loves other sports but it's it's in that time with you know, with families now where you know football is going through its safety issues and baseball is going through its speed issues and the sport of the NBA and of basketball and we had Roger Mason on a couple of weeks ago talking to him about this with the players it's it's just huge it's a global phenomenon there's 10 or 11 players that have more social followers than you know Obama we know that from the hyper data I mean it is just experiment right. and all right. All right. All right, Ryan. Now we can stop with all this stuff. Let's, let's move on. Okay. So <laughs> you made your point. Let's, you made let's your move point, on Ryan. To, uh, to tomorrow night, which, of course, is, uh, yeah. is, is a dramatic evening in the league. Uh, and I've put out on Twitter a question regarding what is the better ticket, the, the, uh, the Golden State opportunity to win 73 or the Kobe, of course, last game of you know of an era. We talked a little bit about Kobe before. Want to get your thoughts on both of those? Uh, sort of the answer to that question. You know, what is a better ticket to spend tomorrow night at? And then let's talk a little bit about you know sort of the history around both of these opportunities. Well, Ryan, that's what they have television for. You don't have to choose. <laughs> you watch, you watch both of them at the same time if you want. So, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't go to too many games anymore, but why would I? First of all, who, who, who's going to pay these prices? Who are these people that are paying these prices? Um, they must be all laundering money. But, um, I, yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, watching, watching a team break a record that's basically a foregone conclusion anyway doesn't, doesn't really do much for me. I watched, I watched some key games recently, but, you know, them – the Warriors beating the Spurs the other night. That was that was a very critical game and showed me a lot. Um, watched a few previous games, so you know a couple that they lost. But you know now that it, now that it looks like it's you know definite, I'm not really that interested in it. It is what it is, and uh, move on. Kobe, what's your thoughts Kobe on Brown, what's your thoughts game? on Golden State? What's your thoughts on sort of how they play and Curry? Obviously, there's been a lot of rumors and language from some of the old time players, you know, shooting them down and you know, what's your thought on how they play and and Curry and you know, how good is this team when you look at the historical uh years of the NBA? Well look, look Ryan, we're all we're all speculating. You know, it's all I, I'm not into fantasy fantasy basketball or fantasy 
you know, stuff like that. It's very difficult to to uh, compare eras, compare players. I'm not definitely not going to be one of those guys that uh, you know, like uh, say anything you know remotely negative about uh, you know Curry's game or what he what he's doing because they you know they don't have the hand checking anymore. Um, I got I got a call. I'd say uh, I don't know a month ago from Rick Sun, who used to be the and still works for the Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta Hawks as a consultant. But he was their general manager. He was the general manager of Pistons, the Sonics, you know, all over the place. Maverick. And he called me and he said, you know, I just I just want I want you to know that one person one person remembers that you said how good Curry was going to be you know, before the draft. You told me how great he was. You loved him, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I appreciated that. You know, out of the blue, you know, Rick Sun, you know, gives me some props. And I, and I, I really do appreciate it. And, and uh, so I love Curry. I loved him. Interesting. Did I think he was going to be this good? No. You know, I saw his coach at the New York uh, City Hall of Fame last year. He got inducted. I, I asked him the same question. Did you have any idea? He said, Absolutely not. I knew he was going to be really good. No, didn't know he was going to be this good. So, did the Warriors know he was going to be this good? No, they didn't. You know, Don Nelson was smart enough to, uh, you know, uh, grab him before the Knicks were going to take him. The Knicks were definitely going to take him. They had told they had told everybody they were going to take him that, that mattered. And um, Curry's agent wanted him to come to New York. But anyway, Nelson was smart enough to grab him, even though he had uh, – even though he had Ellis, and uh, you know, and Ellis didn't really like like it right at the beginning. But did did the franchise that brags about itself incessantly, the owner saying how great he is and how how come you know everybody doesn't do what they do, and the general manager bragging about himself, Bob Myers, you know how how great what a great job he's done. They're all full of it. They're both full. Of it. Because because they almost traded him like three times. You know, people people talk about because I I let it out of the bag that I you know that, that John Hammond, the Bucks general manager, and I were talking the night the night before uh, Ellis was traded to the Bucks, and he asked me which one I would take. Would I take? He could have either one, Curry or Ellis. And I said absolutely either one. You know, yeah. I didn't say I didn't say hey. Definitely take Curry. You know, you mm-hmm. man, you'd be crazy because because his, his, you know people were worried about his injuries. And anyway, so I I talked about that on Warriors Station, and then I at the radio station, you know, a lot. And and then I see some columnist. I don't I don't even know his name. Some columnist from the Bay Area saying that never happened. What a loser! What a what an ignorant asshole! You know that he thinks that that didn't happen. That absolutely did happen. And not only that, there were two other major, major trade proposals put on the table that Bob Myers called his home run. You know, he was going to trade Curry and Clay Thompson for Kyrie Irving. That was his home run. This guy was patting himself on the back, you know, to this day. And they were going to trade, and they were going to trade. Clay Thompson and uh, whomever for Kevin Love, for Kevin Love, and Jerry West, and Jerry West put the stops to that. And I knocked it while it was going on. I was I was so adamantly against that. 
of breaking up uh, Clay and, and uh, Curry. So my point is, is that these guys have been so lucky in what's happened. And the proof is that Curry signed a contract, you know, that was so low in comparison to what everybody else is making, you know, nowadays because of his injuries. You know, they were they, they could offer him this contract and he would take it because even he knew something could happen. And so the way it's broken for this team is, is uh, you know, I'd rather be lucky. I'd rather have good luck than be smart any any uh, day of the week. And uh, I just, it just really annoys me to read that Bob Myers pat himself on the back like this and this idiot Joe LaCobe, you know, who, who, who knocked Mark Jackson – who, who did not want Mark Jackson to play small when he was coaching the team, you know, was angry when he did, was angry when, when Mark played Draymond Green and uh, Lee together and didn't have a center in the game, was angry when Mark would allow Draymond Green to shoot three-pointers as a rookie. You know, all of this anger and leaking everything, him and his, him and his, uh, his idiot son, you know, the assistant GM, leaking stuff to the media that was all so erroneous. And, uh, and now it's like, oh, small ball. Steve Kerr, a genius. What a genius. Look what Draymond Green's allowed to do. Look at him shoot the threes. Oh, my God, where'd that come from? It's amazing. It's amazing how, how these guys, how the media lets these guys get away with this crap. They're lucky yep. I don't have a column. No question. We're unlucky, but they're certainly lucky. And it's, uh, it is interesting the way you sort of describe it. And, you know, back to sort of what we were talking about before about, you know, really how connected are some of, you know, some of these people. But you make some unbelievably interesting, interesting points and, and, and well, certainly Brian, stuff. There. Brian, they're, they're on the take as far as information goes. That's yep. what it is. They're on the take. The assistant coach, whose name I never can remember, who taped the conversations of the coaching staff and got fired for the offense, got fired for it, which Wojo never wrote about, never wrote about until months and months later, and and got fired for it and was hired by the Celtics weeks later. Weeks later. Yep. This guy committed an offense that was just unbelievable. Look at the outroar. The, the outrage that uh, you know the Laker the Laker rookie taping taping uh, you know his teammates yeah, talking right. about you know yeah look at the outrage for no outrage about that assistant coach you know and uh, you know and Wojo ignores it Wojo you know did a whole column about you know how that kid got shafted or whatever how Mark yeah. how Mark screwed him and Scalabrini another source of Wojo's you know another another you know I mean. Everybody knows Gallimardi, how much he leaked around the league, and and so when he when he undermined Mark, you know, in a in a coaching meeting, and was insubordinate, you know, in front of the general manager who used to be his agent, by the way, Bob Myers, um, you know, and, and got demoted to the D league, and and then. You know, Wojo allows allows Scalabrini to come back and say say all the things that Mark did against him. It's like it's a joke. No, nobody hired Scalabrini until Mark did. You know, gave him a break. Uh, so, yeah. so so you know those are those are two specifics about Wojo. You know, taking care of his sources 
you know, and, 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 and they did stuff that you just, you know, you would not be allowed back in the league. And now this, this little dipshit is, is uh, the, the associate coach of the uh, New Orleans team. It's a joke. Yeah, it's Darren a joke. Ehrman, I think his name is, right? Yeah, I don't even like to mention his name. I want to puke. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's amazing how what he's been allowed to get away with. Um, so, you know, let me let me just finish the, the Warriors stuff. So I'm not going to knock – I'm a huge fan of, of Curry, you know, big time. So – and Clay Thompson and, um, you know, and, and Draymond Green and the whole team. I mean, the whole team is a butt. Having said that, and I'm not into the fantasy stuff, there isn't any way in the world – and I was I – was, I was at a I was at a dinner last night with uh, with all ex NBA agents and owners and stuff like that, and we were talking about it. And I said to them the same thing. I said there isn't any just to take one team, which I think was the best team of all time, and uh, Simmons will put me up on a pedestal for this. It was the '86 Celtics, who are by the way having a reunion reunion today and tomorrow. And huh. so, interesting. You you think about you think about the '86 Celtics against against the Warriors. The Celtics had their eight, front line. Had, Pete, their had, front line was absurd with Bird, McHale, Parrish. I mean, they're three Hall of Famers. Brian, Brian, you're interviewing me. You're not gonna you're not gonna <laughs> steal my stuff. Wait a minute. So they had four <laughs> they had the four bat, seven baby. footers for crying out loud. You know, four four Hall of Famers. Four Hall of Famers. You know, Bird, Mikhail, Parrish, and Walton. Walton won the, 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 the uh, Sixth Man of the Year award that year. It was terrific. He only had two and a half good years as an NBA player. That was one of them. And so then they had then they had Dennis Johnson, one of the best defensive players ever, to play to play against Clay Thompson or or a, or a Curry. And then they had great outside shooters in Bird, Scott Wedman, Danny Ainge. Jerry Seasting, who shot about, you know, these are three-point shooters. From I think he shot 530-something that year. Ainge shot 520-something. You know, Bird and Wedman. Wedman was an all-star like three years ago. Are you kidding me? I, I told the guys at the table, I said, you know what? The Warriors might not score. <laughs> it, it would be 4 nothing easy. <laughs> Come on. Because nah, the Warriors, the Warriors totally play their agree. best. The Warriors play their best when they go about against a team that must play either small or big, and then they can take advantage of. Them. So when they go, when the Warriors go small, most teams can't keep up with them. And uh, but they play, they play the Celtics of '86, and now who's got to match up against who, and how do they do it? Forget about it. <laughs> no question. No doubt about it. And, and that's uh, just one team. And that's just one team. You know, that's one of the great teams. You can even take some of the teams that aren't so that didn't win a championship, like the like the '96 Sonics, or like many of those Mavericks teams that never won anything. They couldn't beat those teams. Oh yeah, teams. no question. Come on, no question with Nash so, and Dirk and all those guys. No doubt about it. It's uh, no, not Dirk. No, before no, no, before those. No, no, no. With with Aguirre and Blackman. Oh yeah, and, uh, and Blackman. And those, yep, yep. You know those guys. Those teams. I mean, those. Come on, Tarpley. Forget it. So so that's that's the name of that too. Interesting take on what the else? Warriors, Pete. 
two more things before we let you go back to uh, Shelter Island. Uh, one is uh, on Kobe. Um, tomorrow night's the last night. Incredible career, the second best two guard I've seen. Uh, give us sort of your thoughts. Obviously, you talked about him on draft night. Um, you know, give us your thoughts on sort of his career on a whole um, and how you would put him up, you know, obviously in, as sort of the top 10, top 12 players of all time. You know, I, I, haven't, I haven't factored him into the top. I mean, there's just some great players. So he's, he's one of them, there's no question. Um, his body of work is, is, is unreal. It, it's funny, though, you know, the first, the first couple of years in the NBA, you know, great player, you know. Yeah, I was hoping the Nets would draft him, but he didn't start for the Lakers. Made the All-Star game as a non-starter, actually, I think his second year. But, um, you know, shooting air balls, losing playoff series in the beginning, and uh, and now he finished his career shooting a lot of air balls. Uh, in between, in between, uh, he, he is he is probably the second best guard, you know, to Jordan. You know, for years, for years, way before it became fashionable, I was saying he was as good as Jordan. He, he could do everything Jordan could do. And he could do everything. So, you know, where where is where is the uh, uh, the separation? I don't I don't know. So Jordan won six. He won five. You know, his team he he never had a shack. You know, for sure. But, again, having a Shaq was uh, positive and negative. You know, they should have won a, another championship or two, but those two guys couldn't get along. So sometimes sometimes it's better just to have one superstar who rules it, you know, who abuses, who used to abuse Pippen in, in, uh, in practice, you know, made him into a great player because of the abuse. And then Pippen wasn't going to challenge him. He was, he was you know, uh, one you – know, Jordan was the Cisco kid, and uh, you know, and Pippen was uh, was who? Uh, Cisco kid and Todd Wood. I can't think of the other guy. Cisco kid. Was his compadre? I don't know, a Mexican guy. I can't remember his name. So, so um, anyway, you know, so sometimes better better to have one one leader, and uh, you know, Kobe as the leader, they they got to the finals what three times, you know, and Pau Gasol joined them, and they had Bynum and. Uh, but he was the leader. So anyway, I, I have uh, nothing but respect for for Kobe's career. You know, I got got to know him, you know, fairly well. He's, uh, um, you know, we've had some some very intimate conversations, about personal, you know, over the years, and uh, and so you know, I really I really appreciate uh, being around him, seeing seeing what he's done. You know, I I, I read Mark Heisler's. Uh, 20 years with Kobe, uh, he did it for the uh, L.A. Daily News the other day, and uh, Mark Mark and I are pretty tight. I wrote him a nice note afterward reading it. And, you know, that was a good read, um, but not long enough. You know, and I said to Mark, Mark, uh, yeah, you left me wanting much more. Like, what? And he said, well, you know, I had I only a certain amount of space. Can you imagine... You're in, you're in the L.A. Daily News, and you've got a guy who covered Kobe for 20 years. Take it a step further. He and I both covered his father, Joe Bryant, when he played for the Sixers. Mark is from, from the Philly area. He covered, covered the Sixers for years. And, and so you've got a guy like this that's got the background music to provide, and you give him a space, you know, count, a, a word count? 
You should have turned over the whole section to him for crying out loud. No I hate it. That's pathetic. I hate yeah. Editors <laughs> are idiots. Yeah, that's 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 awful. That, that's just a, a a terrible job by the L.A. Daily News. I mean, the guy is you know Kobe is just so respected and what he's accomplished. It's you know really incredible. So it's good to hear it wasn't you know, all, all the things you're saying. Right. It wasn't all positive that he was writing. He wrote about how you know he and Kobe got into it and how Kobe wouldn't speak to him for like I don't know how many years he said eight years or something like that, but still took his questions. You know. He just wasn't his boy anymore. And then they became boys again. It was a great read. It was a great read, but it was way too short. It was it was long, but it was short. You know what I'm saying? Twenty years. Yeah. Come on. A lot of and stuff he, to talk he, about. And he goes back. Time. And he goes back with his father. He goes back with his mother. He goes back with his uncle. You know, a guy named Cox who was Pam. Pam uh, is his mom. It was Pam's brother. You know, we talked. <laughs> I'm I wrote Mark and Mark. These editors, they, they ought to kill them all. Them and the lawyers, kill them both. You know, Shakespeare didn't mention the, the editors. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Um, I'll let you off on this last uh, last thought, and I have a big uh, – Big New York audience, uh, and, uh, you know, you mentioned Kobe as a leader on some of those Gasol teams, and obviously Phil was on the bench sort of operating the big chief triangle offense, et cetera. Um, he's now been in New York. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of, been a lot of people talking about the Knicks on this show. Love to get your thoughts on, you know, the Knicks and the job Phil has done and, and what the heck is going on there, and uh, is there any sort of way out of – this situation, obviously, the Porzingis play is a is a really really nice you know asset. But uh, I'd love to get your thoughts as you really you know been through it and seen everything that's gone on in that no. place. And you know, look again, it's going to be guesswork because I'm not around them at all. I'm only observing from a distance. And uh, again, you know, I talk about it with my friends a lot. Is is that you know if I were you know if I were as uh, um, such a genius as Phil, you know, is portrayed, uh, portrayed himself actually. Um, I I would not I would have talked Dolan into uh, not re-signing Carmelo. Now now it's basically too late. You know you're never going to win with them. Um, you know so they're going to go out. They've got money to spend. They've got they've got enough money to go get another superstar. But again, it's like I told you before about Kobe. You know, one one leader it can be a good leader, or it can be a leader who leads you astray. And you know, he he tried to play, you know, more team ball this year. But to me, every time every time they needed a hoop, the ball would stop with him, and he'd do his little you know his little thing, and he'd hold the ball and back in or whatever. And, you know, or take quick shots. You know, coming down court. I, He's just he's just not not somebody that I would want to play with. So you put, you know, in the beginning of the season, I felt that Phil had done a good job in putting a supporting cast around him, like the Sixers did in in Philly with Iverson. They put a bunch of role players around Iverson. Everybody was content to let him be the scorer, and they got to the final. You know, they ended up getting the tumbo midseason for. For Ratliff, I believe, and uh, yeah. you know they had Snow, they had Lynch, they had all these guys. Everyone content. And I thought getting getting uh, getting the guys they got was going to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I like I liked all their pickups, and I like the fact they, uh, they they picked up guys that you know really 
you know, kind of struggling and, and did well for them this year. But, again, playing with playing with Carmelo, Iverson was able to take them to the finals on his back and, and win the first game in L.A. And then Kobe went in the locker room before game two and, and just screamed at everybody, you know, and said, that, you know, are you going to let this happen? You know, let this team beat us in our own house? You know what? And they won four straight. And, um, you know, a couple of a couple of games were close, but still. So, you know, Carmelo, man, <laughs> you know, Amari didn't name him, but Amari was, was telling the truth. You know, Amari, Amari was the guy that was leading the team somewhere. They go and they give up all these young guys for, for Carmelo. You know, I remember telling Billy King, because Billy King was uh, with the Nets, trying to get Carmelo at the same time. And I went out to L.A. I'm, I'm sorry, I went out to Denver and spent a week with Carmelo right before the trade deadline. And, you know, I spent a lot of time around him, his teammate, his coach, security. You know, I really, I really, you know, I, when I go out there for a week, I, I, I find my way around. And I heard nothing but negative, nothing but negative. And I told Billy, I called Billy and I said, Billy, you know, you're trying to get this guy. And if you get him, what you're going to be getting is, is Iverson because everyone everyone has to cater to him. And so if that's the way you're going to go, then, you know, you're, you're going to be – that's the way you got to go. So he wasn't going to give up, you know, what the, Nets, what the Knicks gave up. They gave up their whole team. And, and so if you had gotten rid of Carmelo when, when Phil came in and you started fresh and you had all this tremendous salary cap, you you could have really put together a nice team, you know, if you know what you're doing. But um, that remains to be seen with Phil. You know, he hires he hires Rambis as a coach. That to me just solidifies the fact he has no clue. You know, base things on friendships. You're going to base things on 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 uh, whether whether you're going to teach the the triangle offense. You know, come on, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Bring in Jordan. Bring in Jordan. Bring in Kobe, and we'll run the triangle. No problem. Exactly. Well said. Uh, it's uh, something that I've been preaching on this show for a long time. Identical words to what you said about Melo. I, I couldn't feel. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and, and and I and I agree on Phil. I mean, look, great coach with those guys, but this is a very different job. I mean, running a team who yeah. he turned down the yeah. job two or three times, and then finally the money got so significant that he can't turn dollars around. He can't turn that down at some point. But he has not proven himself as a you know president slash general manager of of a team of a bunch of twenty twenty two year old kids. And you know, I totally agree with you on the Carmelo thing. I mean, he had the chance to well, Ryan, pivot Ryan, this thing me, and change. Me. The whole thing. Let me be clear about this. I like Carmelo. He treated me with nothing but respect when I spent that week with him. He was acceptable. He told me stories about his family, you know, that he hadn't told before. So I, I really, I would have liked to have been around him. And uh, but you know, I, I would have written what I wrote. But I think he's the kind of guy that can take that stuff. He's pretty good that way. So I'm not. I, I, I don't want to people to think I don't like him. I really do like him. But um as and as far as far as Phil goes, you know, you, you how can you if you're starting as a general manager, you built Kerr up so that he was able to get five million a year having never coached before, um, you know, and and uh, was was not a good GM in in the Phoenix. Um, you know, remember he had he had hired Terry Porter and fired him at uh, at half season first year 
And, and so now, now he becomes a coach. He gets five million a year. Mark Jackson, I believe, got two million a year without any without any uh, prior experience. And now Phil, as a boomerang, you know, he he just he just goes to another guy that he that he thought he knew, Fisher, got him five million a year, and didn't know. He didn't even know the guy who he, who played for him for how many years. He didn't know, you know, what kind of person he was. He didn't know whether he would listen to him or not. He didn't know whether he would give his the assistant coaches who Phil put in there, Rambus and Clemens, whether he would give them respect, which he didn't. And and so he totally miscalculated on Fisher. And uh, so what does that say? If he doesn't, if he can't figure out the guy who he coached could be a coach. How's, and, and Brian and Brian Shore, another guy who we wanted to hire, was terrible in Denver. Terrible. Awful. And, and so what's he going to do? You know, now they're talking about Black bringing in David Black. I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if he was a good coach, you know, but he knew what he was doing. You know, tough to coach LeBron, that's for sure. Uh, but now he's going to have Melo. So what's the change? You know, I, I don't know. Bringing David Black, God bless him, you know, I – who knows? Can he coach the triangle? Sure. He'll coach it. He'll do anything he'll want. But will he, will he coach it well? Can he do it? Will they listen to him? Will they respect him? I don't know. I don't know David Black. Interesting. Very, very good stuff. Well, Pete, you're the best. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the last hour of you coming on. Uh, I uh, absolutely have you. Seems, at, like, uh, seems my... like three hours, Ryan. No, I know. Well, seems that's like what it normally is. You, but I got... I got you covered on the Vine Street. You want to talk anymore about Street, going Pete. to Barcelona? Pete, I got Ryan? you set up. Me and you, me and you at Vine Street, August. All right, you tell me when you're ready. <laughs> buy some ribs and have some fun at Vine Street. How do Street. you know? How do you know Vine? How do you know Shelter Island? How do you know Vine Come Street? Come on, Pete. I got engaged at Shel- on Shel- Shelter Island. Pete, engaged to my wife of ten years, nineteen years total. Engaged on the shores, the eastern shores of Sunset Beach, uh, and Vine oh my, my favorite restaurant out there. Just don't tell anybody because the more people that find out about it, the more it's hard to get a reservation. You know. My buddy owns it, so you can you can go through me. There you go, <laughs> Pete. You're the best. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Drive safe. I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. Take care. That was the unbelievably interesting Peter Vesey. You could follow Pete on Twitter at Peter Vesey One. A uh, guy I grew up with reading every day, and it sucks that you can't hear what he's up to and hear his insights, and you have to follow him on Twitter to to find and hear about that stuff. But clearly, uh, uh, an unbelievable interview. That's probably <laughs> one of the more memorable interviews, and 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 uh, something I'll never forget is getting an hour. With Peter Vesey, never would have thought he would be able to come and jump on for an hour. But uh, just absolutely awesome to hear all the stuff and just story after story that I've never heard, and I know a lot of people have have never heard. I mean, the story on the, the Curry stuff and trying to trade them and and all that, and of course the Kobe stuff and tomorrow night being you know, such a big night. And as these uh, new individuals and new websites in basketball pop up and the ESPN and TNT and pregame shows and all of these things, none of it would have existed without uh, what Peter Vesey brought to basketball and the basketball media. And uh, it really is just, you know, incredible to see all of these guys and NBA TV and, you know, this guy started the pregame show. 
he, him and Hubie started the pregame show. That that's absolutely you know sensational and, and amazing. And you know Joe Barry cares and Joe Barry Carroll and Medical Bill when it comes to Bill Cartwright and Next Town Brown when it comes to Larry Brown. But this is guy called Michael Jordan, Air Jordan. He he he's credited with calling Michael Jordan Air Jordan. As far as basketball and sports, it, it just doesn't get any any more significant and bigger than that. So. Uh, I, I am just delighted that Pete came on and spent as much time with us as he did. And, you know, for everybody who listens, when you think about uh, the Knicks and and uh, what we've talked about, it's, you know, it's everything that I've been saying and we've heard on this show for a long time regarding, you know, Carmelo and his habits and who he is as a person and Phil and all the things that Phil has left to prove and, and the trying offense. But just unbelievably interesting stuff as I take a breath. Um, and get myself together for the hyperheat index coming from uh, from Pete Vesey. So thanks to to Pete for spending uh, an hour with us uh, on the Inside the Burger Shop podcast. We're going to wrap up with a quick hyperheat index. As you know, Hyper is the lead sponsor of the show, and uh, really when we talk about the hyperheat index, we look at three individuals who are in the conversation today. And the first is Kobe. We talked a lot about Kobe today. 21 million followers on Facebook from Hyper's data. Uh, unbelievable amount of social following Kobe. 9 million followers on Twitter and about 5.5 on Instagram. So as you see, Kobe with about 33, 34 million followers on social media. But when you look at his engagement, very big on Facebook. So every time he puts out a post to his 21 million followers, he's getting about 70,000 likes per post on Facebook. Uh, Kobe just absolute you know, beast when it comes to uh, social media. When you look at the gender breakdown, 79% of Kobe's fans are men, which of course makes you know a lot of sense. But when you look at the age breakdown of Kobe, really he's very big in 12 to 18 year olds, 19 to 25, and 26 to 32, and even up to 39 year olds. He just has a huge, very, very equalized presence across many different age categories. And Kobe obviously is a guy who appeals to everybody from you know young kids today to millennials um, to people who are even older. So interesting to look at Kobe, 35 million combined uh, social media followers. The second guy to look at is Clay Thompson, who Pete talked a lot about, uh, the two guard from Golden State, uh, one of the best shooters in the league, father played in the league, Clay with almost 2 million Instagram followers, one and a half Facebook followers, and about 500,000 Twitter followers. But where Clay is getting all of his engagement is on Instagram. Clay is a big user of Instagram, getting about 62,000 likes and about 660 comments per post. So when you see Clay put something up, uh, on his Instagram, he's getting about 660 comments every single time. His age breakdown is, is excuse me, his gender breakdown is very similar to Kobe. About 77% of his followers are men, very similar to Kobe. And his following from an age bracket is the same. Uh, is the same. Uh, from 12 to 39 is the bulk of his following. One of the things about Kobe's uh, following is only 28% of his following is in the U.S. And we know that from the hyper data 
uh, and that is because he is an international star growing up in Italy. Uh, therefore, his following is very global. Very different when you look at Clay Thompson. Clay with 50%, half of his following is here in the U.S., and another 12% in the Philippines. So interesting to know Clay has 12% of his social following in the Philippines. I wonder if that has to do with the phenomenon of Golden State or uh, maybe a former teammate who, uh, who is Filipino who is big in, in that country. So interesting. And then the third guy is really, to me, the key of Golden State when they go with the small ball, the death lineup. Pete talked a little bit about it before, and that's Draymond Green. And Draymond is not yet at a million followers on any social media. He has 865,000 on an Instagram, 380,000 on Twitter, and a little over 100,000 on Facebook. Similar to Clay. And similar to a lot of young people, a big Instagram user getting about 30,000 likes for every single one of his posts. And when you break down Draymond's uh, audience, just like Kobe and Clay, 77, 78% men. Very, very similar when you look at the gender breakdown, which is interesting because we've looked at a lot of gender breakdowns over the past couple of weeks, and a lot of athletes are closer to 60, 40, even 55, 45, but these guys very heavily followed by men. Interesting when you look at Draymond, by far his biggest following is kids 12 to 18. 35% of Draymond Green's social media audience is kids 12 to 18. Why? Kids are fascinated with Golden State, and Draymond is sort of this guy who's new. He has never been as big as he actually is this year. Um, so Draymond with a huge number of fans that are 12 to 18 years old, and 60% of his following is in the U.S., Draymond. So Big name, big following from a young standpoint, youth standpoint, of course, um, a big following here in the U.S. And that's your Hyper Heat Index for Episode 32 of Inside the Burger Shop Podcast. And we're back up to wrap up uh, what was really a fun show today, a uh, long show. Uh, we were blessed by the great, he doesn't want me to call him the great, so I'll say the wonderful Pete Vesey, who uh, is always always interesting and always fun. Thanks to Hyper for, uh, for spending time getting us all that data and all the information. Again, you can follow Hyper at, at Hyper Brands on Twitter and check them out on their website at hyperbrands.com, H-Y. PRbrands.com. And no, we didn't talk much about baseball. The season started. We're not going to get into that until next maybe couple shows, but we had a great show with Costa Kennedy, uh, editor of Sports Illustrated last week, and did a whole preview. And it's interesting to see some of the teams he talked about. We, I know we talked a lot about the Cubs, six and one start for the Cubbies, uh, big injury losing Schwarber for the season with the ACL and the big collision in the outfield. But they're loaded, and you can tell they're loaded. They're having a lot of fun. Uh, big home run by Addison Russell last night in the bottom of the eighth to uh, to win the game against Cincinnati. So keep our eye on the Cubbies. The Mets struggling at two and four out of the gate. Yanks three and two. So things just getting started, just heating up in the baseball season here in the middle of April. Thanks to everybody for listening today. You could of course subscribe to the show. Inside the Burger Shop, the grill is hot on iTunes. Appreciate everybody listening today. Have a good rest of the week and a wonderful weekend. And as my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say, adios. Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next.
Cause that's the type of podcast you listen to Powered by the hyper Brands, who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront Got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront Listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything Sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing So listen to the man right ahead of his time On your podcast, you can download or listen live So here comes the podcast, here comes your host The Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast In any way you want to do it, listen to the show Ryan got the insights, the Burger Shop, you know Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.